Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. This week, join me for part one of my chat with Mitchell Hanlon, Managing Director at Hanlon's Consulting. So grab your drink, sit back, relax while we chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. My guest today is Mitchell Hanlon, better known as Mitch. Mitch comes from a small country town approximately half an hour northwest of Canberra called Gallong. His family moved to Young when he was 10, and this is where he spent the rest of his 10 years. Completing work experience in year 10 led Mitch to a career in surveying. With over 40 years of surveying experience, Mitch started his own company, Mitchell Hanlon Consulting, back in 2003, where he is the managing director. During his career, Mitch has had a massive impact on regional communities and our industry. He has won many awards, such as the CSN, Small Consultants Category, Tamworth Business Chamber Employer of Choice, ESI Sustainability Award, and runners-up for the ESI Infrastructure Award. And I'm sure that there are plenty more that he hasn't told me about. He loves the outdoors and has rugby running through his veins. He is the president of the Tamworth Rugby Union Sporting Club and vice president of the New England Rugby Union. I can't wait to hear what he has achieved throughout his career. Welcome and thanks for joining me today, Mitch. Thank you, Peter. So it's Gaylong too, not Gaylong. Oh, Gaylong. Gaylong. Hey. Yeah. You've obviously listened to my podcast and I always get something wrong. So we'll we'll get a cranky phone call. (laughs) Gaylong. Okay. (laughs) I'll remember that for next time. If I ever speak to anyone from there. (laughs) So you were born where in Gaylong at young no in young yeah okay the the young mercy hospital Mm -hmm. and uh yeah my father and my uh, actually my grandmother my maternal grandmother she uh she had 1100 acres her husband was a uh, railway fettler who served in the war and was fortunate enough to draw a soldier similar block in the lottery after the uh the war ended Mm -hmm. and uh because they were from Burua and that was only um uh, 20 or 30 miles down the road from from where they lived so it was actually quite convenient so and then my grandfather passed away before I was born and my father was a shearer and he met mum at the young at the Borough picnic races so he was running a shearing contracting business and helping um, my grandmother run the farm okay so it was a sheep mixed mixed um, um, enterprise type of thing not really big enough to, to farm um, it was actually part of an aggregation of 6,000 acres, which has now sort of all gone back to it. So 
that that's that scale. That's the scale of agriculture. You need to, to be profitable. So Dad basically went shearing with his mates, and uh, so yeah, I grew up in the shearing sheds around Bora and Yass and Harden, and because uh, that's all Merino country. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then <clears throat> unfortunately, my father died when I was eight, so Mum ran the, the show oh. for another couple of years, and then wow. decided that it was just a little bit too hard, and so. They yeah. sold up and we moved in, moved into town. And um, so, yeah, we left uh, the little two-teacher school there and went to a, into a school where the, the, the number of kids in the class was the same as the school I went to. So yeah, right. I remember having to learn long division. <laughs> and uh, and we were in a school, the little school I've mentioned, the Gaylong Public School. We, uh, me and Roger Carmody were the ones who went and chopped the wood so we could start the fire. That was great fun. So you didn't have to sit in the classroom for an hour. You just... <laughs> so we went into the, into the big town. I was really how poor my academic record was. So, yeah, fifth class learning long division. It wasn't pleasant. Oh, yeah. Would, I guess yeah. it would be a, a bit of a shock uh, to the system. You know, so I've been a country kid. Who's just run, we used to go rabbiting with the dogs and um, yeah. the shovel and air rifles and all of a sudden a townie. Mm. Did great well. <laughs> but also farming is not that fun it's uh it's it's a tough gig and um so yeah. i suppose one of the reasons i was attracted to surveying it was wasn't as um i suppose precarious as farming is but sometimes mm-hmm. it is and all yeah, my uncles were moments. rural r- rural contractors and so if they weren't shearing they were fencing or crutching or driving trucks or driving headers and mm. you know, it was a it was a it was a gig economy before you know back then too so so we've sort of got the same top. I've got the same mindset. If something's not um, the workload is not there for like land development, we're doing something else like railways or roads or feedlots or chicken sheds or mm-hmm. so. You know, you just turn your hand to something else. Yeah. So I think so, yeah. Um, those those that that do well do have that mindset of turning your hand to something else. Um, I know what I didn't want to be, and that's a shearer. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've seen uh, videos and and photos of shearers. I don't, I haven't seen one live, but yeah, it's probably not something that I would like to. Be you get fit, but boy, it's hard work. It's tough. Yeah. It's a, it, yeah. So wool classing is a different thing. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my uncles was a wool classer, so uh, that was a TAFE course. Accountancy. You actually learned accountancy, and, and my, my uncle, uh, mum's brother, was a real. He had a, he was full of trivia. Things about the law about regarding your camel and whether you could leave it outside the, the property or not, or you could take it in. And I said, Where's oh, all this, <laughs> this trivia come from? <laughs> Some archaic law about if you were if you were a wool class or a shearing contractor, whatever you brought your camel on with. Oh, geez. He's based out of Condoblin, so I still visit them when I go out there. Gosh, yeah. you, you must, you obviously do a lot of travelling, so <laughs> we'll, we are. Uh, oh, oh, that's did... just that we grew up, Peter. It's mm. just, uh, you know, you go to the cars and six hours away, you just get in the car and drive till you get there. Yeah, yeah, I think, you it's know. It's we... a journey, you know, it's 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 fun. It's, uh, and I still love, I miss, I, I just love getting in the car and driving down the Griffith or, yeah, you know, we guys to Walgut and Lightning Ridge and yeah. Queenbian. We had fellas down in Queenbian last week, so. Yeah, I mean, for us growing up, we, you know, our our trip to school was about an hour or, you know, between an hour and hour and a half on the bus with all the stops and stuff. And, yeah, my family, Tathra, Canberra, so it was the, you know, 
four to eight hour drives, five hour drives kind of thing. And coming to Sydney uh, was a bit of a shock because it was like, oh, yeah, I'll just go to uh, Hurstville or Cronulla or whatever it is. And it's, you know, a 10, 15 minute drive and people go, are you going to drive that far? (laughs) (laughs) You go, okay, yeah, it's just down the road (laughs) so yes the city's definitely very different to uh country and you're obviously a lot more country than than i was that's for sure yeah yeah i've struggled with sydney i I went to uni in sydney worked there afterwards and and just seemed to be sitting in a car going nowhere yes um and it's even worse now (laughs) oh i just you know i couldn't do it there's no way um and uh, in fact, the further west I go, the more happier I am. I get funnier even when I drive down the Hunter Valley. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah. I just, so nice uh, I just find it claustrophobic. So, wow. Yeah, the, 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 the wider the space and the bluer the sky, the happier I am. Yeah, fair enough. And, and it's, the work is interesting. It's, it's not like I've done my share eye dance and house pick outs and yeah. work in Sydney. And I don't know, it's just the sameness to it. And, yeah, you, you, you're so resilient. You have to go sort of figure something out on your own. You might not, you may not have a laptop. You may not have been there coverage. You've just got to work, work things out. And, you know, the car might break down. You've got to fix that up. So it's mm-hmm. just GPS may not work. So you're pulling out the, yeah, the, um, your pocket knife and bodging it up so it'll work. So <laughs> you just get good at figuring stuff out. And that's just, uh, we've always been like that whether his dad was making something on the run or fixing up a tractor or, or whatever, you just, you just, you just do it. Yeah. Your problem, your, your problem solve, how's, what do I need to do and how am I going to do it? What have I got to do it yeah. with and yeah. get it done? And that's what keeps it interesting. And mm. I'm a change junkie. It turns out because you live your life like that. I tried to be another public servant and that just did my head in. A couple of times <laughs> I gave a real hard go. <laughs> Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> it's the excitement at the start. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think you have to be a certain type of person sometimes to, to do that, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you did work experience in U10 with a surveyor. Yeah, with Larry Wordsworth. He's a local surveyor in Young. He, uh, he's, um, he was a Kiwi uh, at the time. I didn't know that. But uh, he, uh, he was quite interesting and he was... Um, like I only did a week there or a couple of days mm-hmm. and, and then at the uh, towards the end of year 12 uh, well actually it started at the end of year 9 or started the year 9 because most of my mates left school at year 10 okay yeah then I'm out of here they're gone yeah and I and I thought about this just a year and a half from here I could leave school god what the heck am I going to do <laughs> uh, and, and looking around the town of 6,000 people and you're looking at your options and it wasn't like a motor mechanic, a bank teller, shearer, uh, wool classer, truck driver. It just, I don't know, it's just nothing really excited me. Um, mm. And we had a list of work experience opportunities and like working with a sheet metal workshop with plumber. I thought about plumbing. I actually quite enjoyed that. <laughs> um, and, uh, but... Oh, it was outside again, and it yeah. was you had to use your brain a bit. And I just, I just looked at this, and I saw he had computers as an old HP desktop thing, and and um, and w- one of the fellows working with Larry was uh, was a uh, the father of one of my brother's mates. So mm-hmm. 
Robert, Robert, uh, Kevin Corkery, and then Robert, his son, ended up doing a PhD in geology at ANU. So I sort of knew how smart uh, Robert was, and another sense that Kevin, his father, was quite smart. And I thought, actually, this is this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the end of uh, uh, year twelve, by then I I'd, I'd sort of started investigating other opportunities, and I really did like engineering. I did engineering science at high school. I uh, quite enjoyed that, but I enjoyed that outdoor thing because I was an army cadet. Uh, the navigation part was, was pretty interesting. And like we were, they, they put me in charge of about 30 kids from marching around the Pocalvin for three days. Wow. <laughs> um, that was at the end of the thing, but I did all the navigation. And other times we, uh, I took about a bunch of 10 kids when I was about 16 through the Wetton Mountains near uh, Grenfell. Dad, tell That's me, was it? Did you, you have? Did you have adults with you? No, not in that one. No, no I just do mine. I think um, was it John Minahan? I think was it John? I don't know. Someone said the same thing that they went, they would do orienteering, and basically off you'd go. Here's your map. Here's your compass. Whatever it may be, off you go. Yeah. Send you into the bush. No parents. Yeah. No nothing. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you I mean, you just rendezvous. Yeah. yeah, and look, that's the independence, building independence. And I've made sure my own son, we did a lot of that. So he mm -hmm. did army. That's end up going in the army. And um, I, I just worries me. I've had a few Sydney and coastal kids come work for me, and mm -hmm. you go, oh my god, I got to, I got to sort of teach you how to drive a manual car. I got to teach yeah. you how to map read, or uh, stop looking at your Google Maps on your phone to navigate to around the places. It just worries me that we don't do enough of that um, uh, teaching kids to be independent and cope and deal with the elements. Yeah. Like here's a box of matches, here's a pocket knife, here's a map, here's a silver compass. Get to this point in three days' time. Ration your water, ration your food, make sensible choices. So we worked health and safety ourselves into a, a, a state of panic. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so we tend to, so we find, tend to find the kids we've got are guys who played football, they've been in you know, knocks and scrapes, and they're local kids, they're farm, not so much farm kids anymore because they're a rare thing, but uh, kids who get out there and have a crack. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're a bit um, far and in between these days. Yeah. So on that wet mountain trek, we were running out of water and we underestimated the time. We had this old radio that, like a Dick Smith special, could barely <laughs> hear someone. And, and in the end, I had to make decisions on the run, assessing this, the situation. And yep. so, right, we're running out of water. Let's conserve water. Now, so the next morning was find water. So he found a tank, an old farm tank that had water in it, had a sill. And I said, bust the sill. I'll deal with the consequences as a farmer. As long as respectful and and, I, and that, and you and you actually get good when you roll into a, a farm and you've got to explain why you've got a bunch of twelve year olds and fourteen year olds with you, mm. all dressed in army fatigues. And, you know, <laughs> luckily, we've got the Australian cadet units on their shoulders as insignia. And I actually found that more interesting than playing football, which is what all the cool yeah. kids did. Yeah, I right. played football, enjoyed that, but. Seriously, you take the ball up, you take a tackle, you do it six times, and then you kick it, and then they have a crack. It's yeah. I'm not discouraging football. It's a great <laughs> thing. It's teamwork as well. I love footy. Put it out there so don't send any messages <laughs> about that. That means be a sport hater. I love sport, <laughs> but 
that intellectual part to it that, that uh, in the and that it just appealed to me a lot. Yeah. Um, the safe handling of firearms, and I know that's a no-no now, but um, the reality in in certain situations, a firearm's quite handy, especially as a farmer. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to an old railway man, and he said quite often, and we see on the railways a lot of dead animals or half alive animals, and how do you move an animal that you can't come close? So you scratch around for somehow the the disabled animal, so you don't get kicked by an old bull or something. Yeah. So so you you run in these situations where, but the narrative at the moment is you can't uh, you're not allowed because because of, of a metropolitan mindset that mm-hmm. doesn't or a policy that doesn't work in in, in the outer regions. Um, and I run into that constantly with academia, with uh, government councils even. Um, and then we get out those Western councils and they just say, God, someone who can read and write, thank God you're here. They just are suffering and there's a lack in the policies that settings that are in the metros don't roll out to the rest of the, the outer regions of the state. Yeah, it's a bit of an any state, isn't it, when it comes to, to that? I mean, we are definitely so different in the city compared to out in the country. But regions. the expectation is everyone's funneled down to Sydney or Newcastle. So mm-hmm. our area health service extends to South Wales, from Newcastle, all the way up to Moree and Mungai. Now, uh, I've got a fellow at work who's got cancer. He's got to had he's had to drive three and a half hours down to Newcastle for a PET scan. Mm-hmm. My, my, uh, my grandson's going to Newcastle for uh, adenoid removal. Now, yeah. why can't that be done in Tamworth? So we have these we have these area health services that are geared towards taking people where the specialists are now that's okay if you're middle class but if you're not middle class uh if you're if you are struggling if you uh, have family situations that do not allow you to get in the car and, and go down and stay in so my daughter-in-law's got to stay in there for, for 10 days so that's the cost you can't live in your home yeah. you haven't got a support network so we have these disadvantages that uh uh, and a medical system that suits the professionals. It doesn't suit doesn't suit clients. the people. Yeah. But we don't matter because there's only nine electorates west of the range. So you can run a government without having anyone elected from the western side of the range. And the poor buggers who are representing the western side of the range are almost ignored. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and I think that's that, that, that's why I get active agitated and active in in a lot of these discussions about policy and and what have you yeah i mean it's it's amazing like oh what how do i say um everybody's so focused on the the city and that's where the people are and don't realize what is further out and who is further out and how you know they do suffer with with lack of the, the medical and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, I see things um, about, you know, the flying doctors and all that kind of stuff as well, of how, you know, they don't get yeah. enough support. And Yeah. And look, don't get me wrong, the city needs what it needs as well. Uh, but it becomes a self-feedback loop where you have, uh, like, the top 150 schools you want to send the Sydney Morning Herald are all North Shore, Eastern Suburbs. There's no one in the North, there's no Newcastle, Illawarra. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, you have a high TR or Utah, ATAR uh, to get ATAR, into, yeah. the, into the high uh, high uh, competitive degrees. Mm-hmm. 
So they come from those schools that can produce the kids. The kids that go there are from backgrounds that are supportive parents, middle yeah. class, upper middle class. They can fund mm. the, the tuition. All that stuff. So, uh, and then produces those uh, well-qualified professionals who then do the same thing for their children. Yeah. So you've then got the other side of the coin where you have low-performing schools. They can't get teachers to go to Walgett. They can't get, they've gone through 32 principals in, in uh, 25 years. Mm. No one wants to stay there. Uh, these, these kids can't get out of the hole that they're in. So the job opportunities aren't there. So you, it's not just the Walgetts, the, the, um, the Cowras, the Canoundras. It's even some of these these middle-sized towns like Yugandas and Narrabri. So, so mm-hmm. for instance, Narrabri exports a busload of kids every year and they never go back. Yeah. They finish school one way or the other, they never go back. They're not even trying to get into university because they know they can't afford to, to, to travel away to study because that's, that's a cost as well. Forget yeah. about the hex debt. It's yeah. the cost of living away from home. And, the, and a lot of it culturally too, uh, particularly Aboriginal families, they don't... Uh, it, to live away away from their, their family groups doesn't work. So the model the model we're trying mm-hmm. to do here in Tamworth, the Tamworth University model is a model that's actually suited for the uh, our community. And yeah. if you and he can get that right, they, and they're calling it the Tamworth model thing, they're going to try and sell that idea to the rest of the rest of Australia. So the old model of going into, moving away, going to Newcastle, going to Sydney, study, then come home. Um, or the other alternative model, which is, work with people like me, study externally through USQ. Well, that only works if you've got an employer that actually is very supportive for that. And and, and, oh. and there's certain levels that you can get to, but I think we hit the ceiling in terms of capacity. So, yeah. uh, and I see that through the training committee I'm on for the Board of Surveyors. You're not seeing enough support from the mentor surveyors or the organisations. They're just treating them as cattle. That's, uh, uh, that's yeah. That, that's what I've noticed, um, you know, even when I was in the TAFE sector, the, the ones doing the part-time or doing the distance learning and stuff like that, it's like, guys, you know you have to do a certain amount each week to keep on top of it. You know, you yeah. say something about, you know, what are you, you know, are you asking your employer for help? Are you asking them for that time? And No, 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 we're too busy. They told us not to worry about it, that, you know, we'll just have mm. to come back and do it later. And it's like... Yeah. Oh, it's so unfair because oh. these guys are, and girls, I, I say guys, I mean everybody, yes, are, are trying yes. to, to, to better themselves for their future, for their careers, and these companies aren't allowing them to do it because they want to make the money. They're not putting it into their programs to know, I know I'm not going to have someone on one day a week so that they can actually do their study. Nope, I'm yeah. going to book out my time for all my employees solidly for the whole six days and they're going to have to work six days a week. Right, so you get a burnt out kid who yep. eventually figures it out that that guy is a pain in the neck and I, he's not an employee of choice. He doesn't yeah. care about me. Yeah. So I'm going to go find someone or, or an alternative career like, at least that kid's in surveying, but that kid's got a 50-50 chance now of staying in surveying. Yeah. Because they burn out, they, they've looked at all the other firms, because generally you sort of look at the other firms that work in the same field. They're all in the same boat. Yep. And what that uh, company has failed to do is put a strategy in where they say, well, here's what we will have to charge to allow our guys to have 
two weeks study leave or four weeks study leave or whatever it needs to be. Yeah. So if I put it in purely selfish terms for me, if I did not put time and effort into the kids that I've got to get further along the road in the terms of educational levels, I won't be able to retire effectively or sell the business out. Mm. Because there is not a big company coming to town to take me over. I have got to develop my own succession plan. Yeah. So uh, there oh, companies succession in the region. Succession plan. What's that? <laughs> companies don't even think, a lot of companies don't even think about that either. So. Nope. And mm. it's not just the ways. I talk to the engineers no. and architects and they're on the same boat. And I used to be very poo-poo about surveyors and the profession. And I got to say, I think generally, if you look, want to find help, it is there. The ACS is doing good stuff. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the things that are out there is there. And mm. I, I, I badger people to, to look at the business academy. Um, so, yeah. and I wrote, when I was on the ACS board, I wrote a, like, I think I like that. <laughs> my ego like to think well, I had some small help in that I wrote a whole thing about the mini EA that we should be offering some type of training program for kids because they mm. get registered and they think that they're, they're the bee's knees they think they could do anything and that's just the start of it and even, even then you, you, you're barely competent yes. and you're certainly not competent to start your own business but this is what happens these kids are getting registered they're starting their own business or and worse still they're actually supervising another candidate Straight which, after registration. Which is now oh, over wow. because at the training committee, we've stopped that. It's now three years. I actually advocated for five years before you're allowed to training one. But because we looked at the other states and I said, well, look, I'm willing to go with three and just see what's happened. Yeah. So, no. uh, it's great. Uni's great. Takes great. But the uni students do come out with a lack of experience. Yeah. And that's the profession ends up. It, they've got an education. It's the profession's got to be given the training. Yeah, that's I agree hundred percent with that. Yeah, um, but it's the profession is not doing that. No, the profession has changed so much. Um, oh, you say, I don't say it's got big, but it, it has just changed, and you don't get that mentoring like you used to. I mean. I know that every job that I went through when I finished TAFE, I had surveyors, uh, whether they were registered surveyors or they were um, technical surveyors that had been working in the industry. Uh, I, every company that I went to and worked for, I got that mentoring. I had that, that surveyor or different surveyors within you know, where I was working, like I started at RMS. So I had different surveyors take me on, showing me how to do different things, you know, not just, oh, you finished TAFE, here you go, I want you to go and do a detail survey. Yeah. It wasn't like that. The whole way along, there was that mentoring and showing me how to do it. You know, I went to work for Jack Keane and he went through and showed me everything on how to do your boundary surveys properly. How did your occupations, you know, measure occupations properly and do the calculation, everything, you know, the yep. whole business. Yep. He, he showed yep. me, you don't, I don't and, see a lot of that anymore. Yeah. Well, we're, we're trying to do that. Um, mm. We don't do enough boundary work, but my guys are very, very good at engineering design and town planning. So, uh, and they, we will sit there with them 
all day if we have to, as we show them. Like, it is quite complicated. Yeah. And what I'm doing is with uh, other like firms, I will send guys down to Sydney and say, right, you need a week doing strata or you need a week doing mm -hmm. IDENTS where you do do occupations because no one does IDENTS anymore. And, um, you know, I was fortunate with Land Tiles Office. We did, our, we did a lot of that type of work. And even when I was working during the uni holidays as, uh, in Sydney, we would do IDENTS by OX. Yeah. Parallel traverses and all that type of stuff. Um, so... Yeah. Mm. And we've got a kid who's down in Newcastle and I, he rang me up only the other day and said, oh, it, look, I'm coming home. Can I come work for you? And I said, no, you need to go work for someone else. Ring John Minahan up. Yeah. Because I listen to your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I said, you need to go and learn how to do boundary. If you want to be a surveyor, yes. a good regional surveyor, you need to go and get more skills than just working with Mitch Hamlin. Because you'll get the Mitch Hamlin idea of how the world should be run. And that's not <laughs> enough. <laughs> Because I know I'm right about many things, but this like I've never done a strata survey before. <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time I've done a two lot subdivision. It's um, but we did a lot of railway boundary redefinition and yeah. um, and, a, and a bit of country work. So I've got my core competencies: town planning, engineering, and um, and rural surveying. But you know the urban and the and the strata stuff we just don't touch. So um, different. So, and yet, I know yeah. there's guys that that's all they do is urban and strata. Yeah, so, exactly. So, yeah, it's, but it's, we don't move around as much either as we used to do either. As mm -hmm. graduates or, or, or um, young kids that just don't have to know that, uh, yeah, that uh, ability to move around just doesn't seem to be there as much. Mm. Could be wrong about that. What you but, think uh, that I'm not seeing from my guys. I think maybe that's because of where you are. Mm. more so yeah, yeah. i probably yeah. say and it's the other firms aren't, aren't doing idents anymore there's no we don't do big strata we don't do big stratas that the guys in sydney and newcastle do so mm. um yeah and but you know town was growing at 900 people a year we've got a fair share of idents uh sort of land, uh, land subdivisions uh we see competition coming out of newcastle um that's strange too we see blokes who are just driving up the highway doing doing work and I get told I'm too expensive. And I said, well, he's coming up from Newcastle and do it for that price. Wow. Oh, shoot. That's three Jeez. and a half hours away. That's and people ring me up and say, I want you to do a house set out for me. And I said, okay, yeah, well, it'll be this price. Oh, God, no, I'm not charged. I'm not, I can't change that. You, you, you no, know, you can't charge me that. And I said, well, yeah, okay, you do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to travel. I said, well, mate, that's <laughs> seriously. I've invested in systems and all the good gear. I pay my guys above average wages. Mm. And I think you need to have a look at yourself. So it turns it gives me an opportunity to give them a coaching lesson without hopefully losing my temper, which is what I usually do. I just can't <laughs> get in my head. And I say, you need to go and see it. You need to do the, a, a business course or a mentorship or some type of one-on-one -on -one with a coach or something. You just can't keep running your practice the way you are. Yeah, I know. I got stuck in one of the local guys once about the price of his house big outs. And he said, oh, but it keeps the boys busy. <laughs> so, so no strategy, no idea about the margin he's making on that work. And I said, I can't believe it. I just, what, what are you in business for? You're in a business. You're in the business of surveying. Mm. And if you don't pay your guys at least the same as a school teacher, they'll leave. They'll go and get a job at council. Or go, they'll go and get a job in the mine. So they've got opportunities. They do have options. Yeah. Um, so I've at least got to match what a good 
school teacher salary would be, plus give them workplace flexibility. Yeah. So I have to be an employer of choice. Right? And, and that's why my staff retention is so good. We, we turn them pretty quickly if they're not going to work, if they don't mm-hmm. fit in. Uh, and the rest will stay forever, generally, unless there's some you know, personal reason that they'll leave. Yeah. Uh, wife gets transferred away. Yeah, yeah. How, um, so you've had your business since 2003. That's right. What, what made you start your own business? Um, I was a single parent. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so my son and I, uh, my, his mum had, had took off a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. Really, nothing really changed. I was doing most of work anyway. But <laughs> it just got to the point where um, I, I needed workplace flexibility so I could do all the stuff with the school pickups, the drop-offs, the board, yeah. all that stuff, you know? Uh-huh. And... Um, Anyway, I actually went to work for council to try, and that wasn't so. But boss, old boss wanted me to go back to because he couldn't get a replacement engineering designer. So I was still, I was still doing his work at night, and I was doing a master's degree as well. Because uh, and there's okay. a reason for that, which we can go into later. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and in hindsight, looking back, I think it was more than just the fact that I I needed flexibility. I think I think I wasn't my personal dreams from where I wanted my career to go wasn't being met. Okay. Um, so I'm very cognizant about that. And um, when I talk to my guys on one-on-ones and the, you know, the meetings we have, said, tell me, is this where you want to be? Are we meeting your personal goals with your family and your career? Mm-hmm. I don't want you to, to um, feel like I'm, I'm holding you back. And if you want to move on to something else, we'll help you achieve that. So, so we've got a bit of a loose alumni where guys have moved on to other things. Um, and, uh, you know, we maintain that there's relationships and, and even they've referred work onto us before that. But yeah. rule number one, my business and family comes first. So mm-hmm. if you've got a sick child or something's come up, you've got to, you've got to do a wall cover for you some way. And if the client's not happy about that, well, that client can go find another supplier. Yeah. Yeah, because it gets a bit hard with the construction work. We just we we make sure we've got enough redundancy. So, for instance, my father-in-law passed away. I was working working at a place called Cookamidra near Parks. Uh, my daughter had rung up and uh, she was in tears, and and I was a bit dumbfounded. And the boys said, "No, nah, I'll stay here. I'll 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 get another one, another guy to come down because I wasn't the project manager of that thing." Yeah. And that's the top the caring, knowing you're in a family situation. Mm. Like the work is. Workplace is a family place as well, so it's your second family. You spend mm. much time, as much time. Well, you do. And Simon Sinek says all this as well. So, you know, I've worked out the hard way. If you want to cut, make shortcuts, just read Simon Sinek and just do what he says. Don't do what <laughs> I did. Learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah, but he probably wasn't around, was he, when when you were, you know, learning? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, you know, I just upset people too. So when I tell people I'm leaving and. And the reason why they they said, but we've given you all these opportunities. I said, but you haven't really asked me what what I wanted. Mm. It was all about here, do, go and do this and be happy about it. But I'm not happy about it. I've told you I'm not happy about it. I want to do something else. Well, what's wrong with you? So hard enough, and that hard enough in stop stopping winter is has to be inverted. So well, what do I do to, to 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 make you you happy? So that's been my mantra because I'm actually learning, trying to impose. Put in the place the learnings I've had from working for crap crap managers. Yeah. Do you know what? I think I think that's really 
a, a, I think that's a good thing that you have worked for crap managers because it makes you want to do things differently and better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I've decided to have a crack at it and, um, uh, yeah, but I still only had a certain window of time and all of a sudden the work's gone to that much level of, of mm -hmm. extra, extra work on, of, yeah. um, so I've done the school pickup, I've done the homework, got my son in the bed and then fire up the laptop and then work to two in the morning. I was trying to finish a master's degree on top of that. And I thought, I'm going to burn out. So, I, I, and there's no plan B. There's no, no mother to sort of step in to take over. I get sick. There was, there was yeah, no one. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's when I'd start employing staff. Okay. And I used to give that excess work to other people and let them own it. So I, I tried not to be a micromanager because I didn't have the top, the, 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 the bandwidth to, to do that. Yeah. Um, and some took it, uh, and I found out, you know, basically my success rate with staff is about 50%. Mm -hmm. And I say to people when they get responded about, you know, bad staff hires, I said, that's just it. So you get better at it, the more you do it, you'll actually work out what type of culture you have and what fits well for you. And, it's and the staff you have is a reflection of your own uh, personality. So if you have a values that your staff buy into, you'll keep them. Mm -hmm. yeah, you better get pretty quick about defining what your values are <laughs> and communicate that. And in the, the interviews, we say, this is our values. So we found the people, well, that might sound good when you've got uh, a good team. It's when you get those people who don't buy in your values. And we found usually the, the ex-council people don't enjoy that. They yeah. like hierarchies. They like being at the top of the hierarchy and they like delegating to people below them. Mm -hmm. So I had a town planner, she had an economics degree and a graduate diploma in urban regional planning. And she said to me, I don't write my own reports. I said, well, why not? She said, well, the council always had someone who write that, write reports for me. And I said, well, he, and I've got two degrees, so I shouldn't have to do that. And I said, well, I've got two degrees too, and I still swing a 10-pound sledgehammer. <laughs> so this is not going to work for you. I think we better have a chat about where, where you need to be to be happy. Because really, yeah. it is important for you to be happy. If this, if we can't keep you happy, make you happy, well, then you have to find you another opportunity. So, oh, um, yeah. yeah, I just want to shake them. It's <laughs> like, oh my god, you're too good to do that. Oh boy, it's uh, wow. And I said, there's no one to delegate to. We're very flat. There's no yeah. hierarchy. <laughs> it's my name in the front door, and I, I know I carry the the, the financial load, but. You know, if you respect other people from who, no matter what their status is, I mean, it just it just makes sense to me. Because I've come from, you know, like I said, the shearing shed background. If you're a dickhead, people will just, you're not going to last long. Yeah. And these guys, we had a run with, a group of us had, had um, not myself, but somebody else, look, let's get this person on. They'll bring all this knowledge and value in it. And they just brought destruction and mayhem. So we, mm. uh, they some went off and formed their own, building certification company and um and uh, and that was fine they took a certain number of clients that didn't suit us anyway so you're actually defined by not hit by the work you don't do and the type of clients you, you have so yeah. um so we're true. very happy in plus people like us the, the people reflect our own values and that's how i now uh seek work i don't seek it on uh who's going to be the best uh monetary wise I need because that doesn't 
work out sustainably long term. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, so we will look for people who want to be in a partnership, see that we add value and want to refer us on to others. And in terms of our home company values, we had a two-day session on this. We got a person in to define what they are. Mm -hmm. And we basically ruled out all the stuff we didn't like. So the stuff we embraced was say it as it is, uh, own, your, own your stuff, um, things like that. So they're now in, in, in a, on, on mouse pads all around the place that are even in their position description. I mean, show us, show us an example where you've had problems with one of those values. Well, I don't want to say bad things about this guy, but this is what happened. Right. Why couldn't you come and talk to us about that before? But because we're such a small team, we have these rolling conversations anyway. We sort of know the mood of something. We always know. It's it's when we get larger and, you know, those 50, 60, 100-man companies, what, how do you do that? So Yeah, that becomes more I'd difficult, say, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so we've got guys now working remotely, live away. So, yeah. So, yes, it's good to do it by Zoom and telephones and that, but nothing beats the... It's not the meeting. same. Yeah, it's not no. the same, is it? Having that... No that person-to-person -person contact and being able to read read them. You can't, yeah. you can't, I don't think you can really get that over over a Zoom. Yeah. Um, so we'd rather drive 10, 10 hours to Queenbit and work for a client who wants us and likes us and enjoys mm -hmm. our, our pay that we bring to them, rather than staying in our hometown who, who one is just going to be a pain in the neck. So, yeah. um, and I, look, and I'm a bit, we love technology. So, yeah, typical smarties, we just love all the new, <laughs> can't wait to get the hands of the, the new bit of gizmos and yes. gadgets. Yes. But it has to be too, uh, they have to be productive. They have to be something that value the company. If they're not, if if they're not pulling their weight, they have to go. So, I try and get the Utes no more than five years old, the, yeah. uh, the equipment, the, 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 the software, the, all the PCs, all our office systems, and that. So, so we can be the most productive we can be in the field. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, that means training has to be part and parcel of that so you can um, get the work out of that. And the systems in place, so the HR system, the project management system, the QA system, so uh, they're like the vehicles they need servicing all the time as well. So yeah. good, what's not good? What, what's, what policy is not working? Mm. Um, what new technology is out there that's going to make us more productive? Yeah. Where the, where's the choke points? Our choke point used to be in the field. Now the choke points in our design team. Um, yeah. Now uh, we've, we're moving towards new technology that allows us to do that. So you're looking for those one percenters. What's, and, and the best brainstorming sessions we used to have was when eight of us would go away working a railway line and we'd have a few beers around the, around the car park in the motel and then, all the ideas would fly. We had yep. time to think and reflect. And, um, and I come from this period where the, the boss would shove you into one car and the one motel room and it's all about driving costs down because that's how you make money, drive your costs down. Mm -hmm. And then we started looking at the other way. Uh, geez, we're just going so slow on this job. What do we need? We'd actually be good to have a second view. So the field end could be zooming backwards and forwards, picking up legs, putting them out. So we, what's... We've got this gear we need to keep the gear moving and, and spinning angles and picking up track and that so virtually now we've got uh, three youths on a, on a job there's just uh just the production yeah and if i can take you back to my rural roots when was harvest is on 
when you're a rural contractor, you had headers and chaser bins and all that type of stuff. You need to get the crop off before the rains hit or you got the next farm down the road and once you're there as well, you need to have the, the best operators, yeah. the best gear, the most reliable gear, and you need to just hit it hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said to my cousin a few years ago, I, I said, it's dawned on me, I'm not running a surveying business, I'm running a contracting business because it's the same mindset where you're running a, a team and if the team's not harmonious, the, the workflow's not harmonious too. Yeah. So yeah. So you've got to have good gear, good systems, and good people. Be nice to have so all that's of that a brain all dump. the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't always happen. No, and you've got to work with it. You've got to work with it all the time because some people are happy one day and the next they're not because of family stuff or yeah. um, stuff that's outside everyone's control, like a sick father-in-law or you know, mm. some cousin is sort of... Because uh, my guys are quite competent, they get involved in their own family situations. And you know, you are because you're an organizer, you know, this surveying is a great thing. They end up in sports, they're running sporting bodies. And like, I'm the yes. I didn't want to be the president of the rugby club, but, but you are. I <laughs> just like, we need to do this, this, and this. What's the problem? Why are you upset with me? This is what you need to do. So, if you don't want me to do it, I won't do it. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 we want you to do it. It's yeah, it's like when I spoke to Paula Motti, it's like. He's on so many boards and panels and you name it because he's just like, no, this is what needs to be done and this is how it should be done and da, 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 get in, get it yeah. done. Uh, can't say no. We're so yes. time poor. We just go straight to the problem. <laughs> and I'll say, oh, sorry. Hello, Peter. How are you? How's, the, how's your husband? How's the kids? All right. I don't really care. Let's just get to the three no. dot points I need to know and I'll move on to the next point. Yeah. That's what you just so time poor. And then I just eyes guys over and and I've take I've got phone calls and emails. Everyone wants a piece of me, and um, look, I like it because we're adding value to our communities. Yeah. Um, and I did hear Paul speak about that, and I I know it drives Paul because it's the same thing that drives me. I want to see our communities do well. Yes. Because this is where my family lives, and um, I, you know I come from the bush. I want to see the bush do well. I'm sick and tired of not doing well. Yeah. So you know, if I there's no point whinging about it, I'm also get in there and have a crack. Get in there and do it. And if you can, if you have something that can help support it, make it better. Yeah. Then yeah, don't sit back and whinge. Get in there and have a go. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So being so far away from Sydney, like, did did all this pandemic change what you were doing? Uh, yes and no. Um. I had a panic attack about it because uh, if I can just go back to why I did a master's degree in the 90s and I was doing all the engineering design of the firms I was working for, I loved it, still do. Yeah. And uh, we end up doing a uh, design for a truck wash because the EPA was up, up the company. They broke uh, their uh, terms of their pollution license. And um, so I got the gig of trying to sort it out and you know, I designed a truck wash down all that type of stuff. I was seeing terms I never I never understood like BOD and SS and so biochemical oxygen demand. I thought, geez, I need to get some reading on that. So, so I started reading up on it and I thought, well, I better enroll in the subject that you and E. And I uh, enrolled in a graduate diploma in natural resource management. Uh, okay. Which, but I went through a water and pollution control stream. And then I realised for an extra assessment, I could actually do it as a, as a post-grad post level or as a master's level. 
Um, and my, and we because we're doing a lot of poultry farm work and involved in odour and dust modelling, um, like we've been involved in capturing the odour and dust out of, uh, out of the GD fan or a chicken shed because the, the science behind that wasn't really settled. And because of all the maths we do in surveying, it, it was all just capturing data and managing statistical outcomes and, mm -hmm. and dealing with the, the modellers up in Brisbane. So basically we were capturing bags of air <laughs> and air freight them air freight them to, to, no. to Brisbane. <laughs> and, uh, but we're also doing the, the uh, like there's an Australian standard on this, so you're putting a, putting a thermometer into the, you know, this big long chute we had designed up and, and all that, loved it, loved all that. Um, and then, uh, so all that, so, uh, and then when we're doing DAs and EISs for poultry farms, uh, we had uh, quite a few uh, exotic disease outbreaks, so, oh. um, in New in Tamworth, we had Newcastle uh, disease. It was a uh, no, sorry, first off, avian influenza, which is the two types, and um, they we the uh, uh, one of the companies had to find a hole for four hundred thousand dead birds and push them into it. So yeah, okay, that oh, sounds easy, but you've got water, groundwater uh, bores where uh -huh. people actually draw and the water's yeah, not yeah. coming. So yeah. you got to position them so they're not going to affect the, the groundwater and the rivers and the Pill River and, uh, and and so all these all these uh, constraints came came into it. So and then in my research dissertation, I uh, I wrote on uh, yeah, what would happen in for disease outbreak. Where are all the carcasses go? What was the management? How's that fit in with OSVET plan and biosecurity and mm -hmm. make sure the disease transmissions uh, through vector transmissions doesn't doesn't move on. So during COVID, when that took, took off, a mate of mine who's a solicitor, but his background is, a, is an ag scientist, is agronomist. So he and I were sending emails back because we could see what was happening next. This is like a foot and mouth disease outbreak or uh, um, MERS or SARS. And, and, yeah, Because uh, yeah. we joked at work, what happened? this is... What would happen if the Spanish winter broke out again in, in you know in our lifetimes? And we all thought that's too uh, too disastrous to even contemplate. Let's not talk about that. And sure enough, it did. Mm -hmm. So I had a bit of a panic there for a, for a, for a, uh, a weekend, and I told my wife stockpile up in as much potatoes and pasta and tin cans of tuna because <laughs> I could see it's been locked down. Um, what about the toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you had to. I wasn't that a joke. Oh my god! Boy, that was the one thing I never thought about. <laughs> Someone <laughs> did. <laughs> oh boy! Anyway, it's um. Uh, Sorry. So us, <laughs> you got you straight me right off. I, I have to tell you, I was we were working in tomorrow, and 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 I decided to go to. Wait, it was a day and night shift, and I had a few hours to kill. I needed to get some some groceries. So I've gone to the Woolworths of Tamora and I've lined up there with all the others and chatting away, chatting away and the, the doors open. So we all walked in and got our things. So I thought, I'll go and have a look at the toilet hole. Completely gone, you know, yeah. had nothing there. So I took a photo and sent it to my wife and my cousins and they could have under it. And then um, I tried to go out the outdoor and it was locked. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. So I went and turned around, went around the door that was, that was open and there was these young Woolworths people checking everyone's licence for because that was for the over 60s. Oh. So I'm sitting there, Mr. Baldhead, sitting there talking to all the other oldies. Anyway, I've sailed in. And so the joke is on me is that they all think I'm old enough to go in with the... <laughs> 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 oh, 
But the horde, the people would get in their minibuses and drive up from Canberra and Sydney and go to places like Cookwall and buy up all the all their toilet paper. I mean, that's oh, where's the sense crazy. of community? That's just that's just awful. Yeah. In that 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 um, in the videos that you see of these people acting the way they did, I just thought that was um, that was quite disgraceful, really. And it, it and it shows what works and what doesn't work. I and mean, this is it's not. This happens in, in crises. You see the good and the bad. And my business, old business coach, he rang me up. He said, how are you going? And I said, look, we're actually sailing right through it. We're still in the we're deemed to be essential workforce. Um, we're, we've got to look at the, fixing these, 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 high, these railways up. Um, working remotely is, is okay for us. Um, and it's the first time I heard Mike have fear in his voice. And he was, he, he, uh, he was coaching like the sixth biggest accountancy firm, travel agency. And he said, on Monday, I think it was a Saturday, on Monday we're having a meeting and I think collectively these guys are sacking 3,000 people, wow. these clients. Yeah. Um, and he said that, and he's off the land of Narrabri, and he said the best place to be is in the regions. Now, we've just had great rainfall. We come through one of the worst droughts in record. Mm. Okay, we've got a mice plague, but look, we're coping with that. Fires happen, drought happens. This goes back to that resilience thing. It's just, you know, so what? It happens. Let's move on. You deal with the crisis and you move on. Um, so I'd put it in place a contingency so that the office people who are at home could, could work from home. We, we've had a weak transition. For us surveyors, it was okay. We can work anywhere with a laptop because we're used to traveling away. Yeah. But uh, basically, we shut the office down and everyone worked from home. A couple of guys worked in the office. Um, and, um, and, and for those who had children, it got hard because yeah. you all of a sudden you've got to teach these. But for, for us, when I was working from home, my wife was working from home, my daughter was working from home, it was actually quite lovely. Mm-hmm. So my daughter, did, uh, she's, she's a bit of a swat, so she didn't mind it at all. But our office manager, <laughs> she had two children who are. Uh, quite needy, and so she uh, her, she struggled to keep up with the workload. Yeah, um, made it difficult. And staying at the motels, I remember talking to the the lady who owned the motel in Goulburn, and she was in tears. So I spent probably half an hour explaining, "Go and see your accountant, go and see your bank manager. Everyone's in the same boat. You mm. you will not. There will be some type of system. Don't pay anyone's bills. Just because you know, she was relying on all this continuous flow of people to come through her business." On yeah. tomorrow, he said the same thing, and but he had a better attitude to it, and uh, he said, "Look, I, I I've just got extra boxes of toilet paper, so if anyone's needy, they can come in. I'll give them toilet paper." So, mm-hmm. so he had inverted. He saw how it is, how can I help the community? Yeah. This poor other lady, she just went to tears. Yeah, it's amazing how different people <clears throat> sort of deal with those situations, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So no, COVID, COVID's awful, but uh, um, look, it would be nice to be able to travel again. And uh, one of the Zoom meetings I had last week, the Teams meetings I had last week, one of the other participants were talking about how we can't get re- recruited overseas anymore. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. maybe they've got to do what we're doing, finding kids locally and put some effort into it instead of just buying kids from overseas who someone else has invested in. Maybe the profession or others have got to invest in kids themselves. Yeah. But the, <laughs> I, 
So then we have a problem with that at the moment too, don't we? The education of them. <laughs> well, we do. The TAFE sector in mm. universities. And mm. there needs to be a conversation. I, I, we had a friend, she, the, we're talking about the lack of school teachers. There's, 20, there's a need for 22,000 school teachers in New South Wales. There's no way they're going to come through the university system. So they're going to have to start thinking innovatively. Yeah. So what about the teachers' aid? Could they become uh, pupils, pupil teachers? Could be, <laughs> we're going to go back to the article system, which yeah. is essentially what I've got with my guys. I've, I've got kids who are on traineeships who have spent eight years studying the degree. Mm -hmm. We have, that's, it's not going to be just surveyors. There's a lot of other a professions. Of us, yeah. The accountancy profession here in the regions of can't find accountants. Oh, gosh. So <laughs> forget about doctors and nurses and that. It's everyone. Yeah, the mechanics and that. Western Australia, they're, they're fighting over train drivers for uh, to move grain because the iron ore guys want them. So, oh wow, it's so. Traditionally, these all been these people have all been trained by the government. Now the government's uh, with the economic mindset they had is that let's put out the private sector, but the private sector doesn't train people. Um, no, and unless we adopt the German model. Uh, which is a bit of a partnership with, with, with the government, we, we, we will have to adopt that because the, the systems that we have in place do not work anymore. No, it's very lacking, that's for sure. What, um, what the you systems need to... work on the fringes too. So we're on the fringe and it's not working. So mm. I've come up with a model and, and I'm saying this is working for us. So let's, let's roll it out the rest of the region. If it works yeah. for us in our region, let's try other regions. Yeah, so that was um, that was brought up, what was it, a few weeks ago, you said by Barnaby Joyce in the in Parliament? Was it about yeah. the... Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the, you know, yeah. it's nice to get named in Parliament. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know what the last time a surveyor got named. Oh, by the way, Kurt Lambic got an Australian medal. Now, Kurt was one of the original graduates of the University of New South Wales in surveying. He was the head of the Australian, of ANU's, uh, one of the key geosciences departments at ANU okay. and the head of the Australian Academy of Sciences. Right. <clears throat> so that's an that's aside, cool. but uh, <laughs> yeah, they're very cool. But he's not mentioned as a survey, he's just as an earth scientist. Ah. So look, I'm a traditionalist. It's a bit hard to go and introduce yourself as a, as a, as a uh, geometrician or a geometric engineer and I'm a surveyor. And a lot of the country people get that. Mm -hmm. And in, in the country, that's a higher, higher, higher um, uh, accolade than being an engineer. Yeah, okay. Right. What uni did you go to? UNSW. Okay. Which, by the way, we're not going to be able to get into at the moment with the ATO they've got. Well, it's so funny. A lot of the older guys that I speak to say exactly the same thing. It's, um, and I wouldn't recommend it at the moment either. The cohort's not big enough and the breadth of their studies is not wide enough. Yeah, right. I don't know so, much, much about the uni stuff, so I never went. Well, not for studying um, anyway. <laughs> <coughs> Look, uh, I was on the uh, industry advisory panel for the Bachelor of Engineering Technology UNE and because um, at the stage I think I was running the biggest engineering surveying practice in the region up here. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kids that were getting, the regional kids, were, it was the same, same 
type of demographic as, say, uh, University of Western Sydney struggle with maths. Yeah. First, in the in the, in the uh, family get a degree, so mm-hmm. it was um, and and small numbers. So the engineering degrees at Sydney and UNSW and UTS and even Western Sydney expect oh, all these country kids can just come down the city and study. And that's that self-focused mindset that these academics tend to have. USQ with Glenn Campbell and those guys understand it yeah. um, much better. Um, I'm a fan of the University of Otago. I like what they do. Um, and so on this, there's an Australian and New Zealand standard for on-site wastewater systems. It says the surveyor can design one of those. Now, if I went to any surveyor in Sydney and said, here you go, design me a septic tank, they wouldn't know what they're no talking chance. about. Yeah. No chance. Because there's such a focus on geodesy and, and aerial image uh, uh, mapping and drones and what have you. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, they're important too. But mm. I need a, an all-rounder who can argue with the solicitor and a town planner and engineer, manage a construction site, figure things out on a rail line at 3 o'clock on a Sunday morning before the train comes at 6 a.m. And, you know, doesn't mm. mind working under duress and likes that challenge. So the blogs I write are, are along those lines. So yeah. you know, do you like being challenged? Do you want to be involved in something that's important to our regional communities? Because mm. what we do is super important to our regional communities. Yeah. And the surveyors don't mean don't talk enough about that. They're too busy complaining about land tiles office. I mean, I was the chief complainer, but at least I did something about it. Most would just ring them up themselves and just don't do anything. Don't do anything. Mm. They don't message. They don't talk enough about their problems. They don't go out and try and attract kids. And it's because of our personality types. So, um, uh, Mike, the, the business coach I mentioned before, he, we talked about two problems. Not enough work and not enough people. So they're the two pipelines I've got. So mm-hmm. I need to find both and I need to find both quality pipelines. So we've now employed a marketing company, a local one in Tamworth, who um, we meet with and, you know, it took them a while to understand what we do because I would just give them data dumps about all these different projects. And they said, well, why? You know, this is the same extent. Well, why? Why are we doing what we're doing? And I said, well, because I need the money. Okay, yeah, forget about that. <laughs> so I can give No, 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 it's more than that. What is it? Well, what values do we give to our communities? Why? And and even about understanding what a blog's for. A blog is to show that you're an expert and that what we can do is actually benefit you, the client. Because mm. we did, here's the other 10 we've done like that. I don't hear any of the surveys. I go to conferences and I all want to whinge about their, their latest problem. And so, well, don't whinge to me. You're never going to get any sympathy from me. Give me your problem. And, I, and uh, this is why I like talking to Craig Turner. Craig's got the similar mindset. He just oh, yes. thinks of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in that. So um, so the presentations I give, I try and talk about, well, here's, here's how we did this and here's why we did it this way. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm actually putting it out there for you guys to shoot down because someone in the audience might have a better idea than I've got. So if you've got it, please share it. Mm. But we're all, oh, that's my idea. I don't want to share it. It's, it's my idea. It's my intellectual property. But if you give it out, you're actually going to get more back from, and we all have a look at it. So actually, you can do it this way. And that's, that's the business coaching group I, I was in until recently. We used to all sit around the semicircle. It would be plumbers and accountants and retailers and photocopier technicians. And 
it turns out we're all running similar businesses. They're all we're all selling a service or a product and mm-hmm. relationships. And I'll learn more from that from going to any of the conferences. Uh, and I did two management degrees at uni. None of that was ever spoken about. Yeah. So I do have a problem with a lot of the stuff at the university. I, I know we need the core stuff, but really I've been taught how to do railway design by technicians and you know, the boundary stuff I learned from field hands and you know just figuring it out on the way. So that mentorship. So mm. um, yeah, so and, and there's not enough rigs and surveyors out here to to manage all the projects. So if we don't have town planners and environmental scientists and technicians work for me, the job's not going to get done. And if you're going to rely on the engineers and town plans to get a project going, this well, good luck to you. We're there to fix up clock ups. Yeah. <laughs> Usually that's what happens, isn't it? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so do you, you went to university, you've done a few degrees. Do you think that a university degree is necessary? No. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I did it because that's the the pathway you had to get to get ahead. Yep. So I got all that stuff hanging on the walls, but really, it's about the guy who can deliver. And uh, unfortunately, there's a bunch of people in Parramatta that who want to know that it's rigid survey at the top of the tree. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, Oh, look, you do need universities for the high-end high end stuff. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but the grunt work and the problem solving that happens on the ground is usually done by technicians or people with two-year, three-year or, or four-year degrees who haven't gone through a board exam stuff. I think there should be a, a, a second secondary pathway mm. through, like I've got an associate, uh, uh, my operations manager's got an associate degree. He, he out-designs me all, all day of the week. So he manages projects. And in fact, you want to see a project stuff up, put me in charge because <laughs> I haven't got the time to put into it, not yeah. properly. And I'm not a, I'm, you know, the old finders, minders, grinders and binders. I'm pretty good at finding. I'm very good at grinding. I'm not a very good minder because I find it boring. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you need a mix of personalities in your organisation and you do need a propeller head and, and you do need a, a, a grunt. Yeah. And I'm quite happy sometimes being a grunt. But I'm also, I always like the helicopter view of the world too. Where are we going? Where's the direction of, where's the region? Where are the big macro uh, uh, issues? What's over the horizon type stuff? I'm pretty good at that type of stuff. So I sort of blow the guys away and I and they roll my eyes with my, you know, the new idea that I've got because I've read something. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we're a pretty, yeah, up, upbeat bunch. We, uh, I've got a couple of my guys doing graduate or graduate certificates in railway infrastructure design. They have Indy Tasmania. So the oh. micro-credentialing is a trend. That'll be that, interesting. I think. <clears throat> it's uh, it's run out of two guys from Sydney, uh, Transport New South Wales initiated it. Um, okay. And, and that's an innovative thing. That's where you can sort of bite-size, bite-size um, qualifications, meaningful bite-size qualifications. So, I think that's the thing. It's the meaningful. Is it going to benefit you? Is it going to help you? Or is yeah. it just a, another lot of letters and stuff after your name? Yeah. That's right. It, you know, the, the boys are loving it. They, they love it. And um, 
So I've got uh, those two doing that. I've got a guy doing the board exams. So he's done his town planning, engineering and strata. So mm -hmm. talking to the two um, boundary ones next. Um, and then another guy who's thinking about making a start. Um, uh, another fellow who's just finished his Bachelor of Environmental Science and he's thinking about doing a uh, Bachelor of Environmental Engineering through USQ. And um, yeah, and I said, look, whatever takes your fancy, I'm not going to mm. force you to become an environmental engineer. If you're quite happy to keep doing what you're doing, you're still going to do the same type of thing. Just tell me what you're interested in, we'll, we'll get you going. Then we've picked up a kid who's a an electrician, funnily enough, from the abattoirs, who's taken a massive pay cut to come and work for us as a as a training engineer. So he's wow. enrolled in a Bachelor of Engineering Technology at USQ. And, and so there's always someone studying or doing, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm being, I've got executive coaching and so I'm now forced to read all these marketing books that Michelle's given me. <laughs> so, uh, so she's she'll be my uh, third business coach. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, so, and I often bring people into the company to help with uh, like the super values thing or I brought a lady in to help with the HR and um, strategic planning. So there's always something going on in, in that. So one year, I think I spent about $90,000 on on staff development, coaching and leadership uh, um, courses. Yeah, uh, well, now, that'd be a very nice land cruiser or very nice thing I'd like, but I needed to build capacity within the team. Well, I mean, um, if, so if, you're, the, if you're a boss, if you're owning a company and you can't see the benefits of putting that money back into the company to help grow it, in the right direction, then mm. it's not really going to go very well, is it? That's not. They're not. Mm. And that and a lot of the surveyors walk away from their business because they're burnt out. Yeah. And they're micro micromanagers. The worst yeah. thing you'll be is a micromanager. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to let them fail with the safety net and then uh, have a lessons learned session afterwards. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I've real wheeled people in front of the clients and said, okay, explain to me why you didn't meet the deadline. And you need to now know why the consequences of that. So mm -hmm. I make sure that they're pretty well engaged with the client from day one. Um, and I'm there as the mentor. I'm not there to mentor a project. I'm there to mentor you through the being a, uh, if you want to be a project manager on a project, I'm going to help you through that. These are the next steps to do that. Mm. And I'll enjoy that. It's really good to see these kids grow into the role. Yeah, I, that's what I've always liked to see is seeing, you know, as the TAFE teacher, seeing those students come in as fresh-faced little kids and then yeah. leaving and seeing them years later doing all these fantastic things of, you know, being yeah. project managers or having their own businesses or, you know, some have left. They've yep. realised it wasn't yep. for them. But you're still and that's in contact right. with them and, yep. and you know, they're doing something else that they really love and that's great. It's just seeing how everybody uh, grows and is enjoying what they're doing and knowing that you've helped helped them along the way to, to get to where they want to be. Michelle's asked me to speak at the uh, two of those business academies on marketing and, you know, I'm the guy's you know, done through the whole branding, rebranding. Mm. So what's the messaging going to be? And I sometimes go off the reservation. I just ask these kids questions. I say, all right, what's your point of difference? Why should I use you over that person across the road who you, you both read since the last? Give me your, give me your, your elevators pitch. What's, what's your difference? Yep. Nothing. 
<laughs> and one of them, I, he did the first one. I said, how are you going? You left it. And he said, I haven't done a thing. I said, well, why well, have you done the course then? Uh, which is why you need to have, uh, you need to have someone who keeps you accountable and someone you can't BS to who, who, uh, yeah. who, who will just see through the lies that you tell them about why you haven't done something. Mm. And uh, the, uh, and the, if you don't do this type of work, your business just ends up just cruising along. Um, yeah, and you can probably do that if there's nothing changing in your local economy. No. But we have so many variabilities in our in our regional economies. You can't just cruise along and just do a land development. Yeah. It will die. It will die. It will run some cycle. And that's what happened to us for four years. We did nothing land development, then died, and then we did nothing for chook sheds for eight years. And then we did feedlots and then uh, land development again and now it's rail so yeah. um, you just find that the, the niches dry up in that so and we're not going to be a large company that's going to try and just get in the coal and gas um, and run multiple fills uh, uh, parties of that I just don't see that's the McDonald's approach and we want to be Rockpool we want to be a high margin company mm-hmm. not a low margin high turnover company yeah yeah I think that's a better way to be so you do a lot of travelling. Yeah, yeah, for the clients, yeah, with rail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also, um, like we did, I did some work for Leeton Shire Council. There was an intermodal down there that um, the, the, the um, general manager had worked in Tamworth, knew what we could do. She rang me up out of the blue and said, look, I, we need your help. Can you come down and give us some advice on on um, on this project? And so we, we'd sit down there and talk about what this would look like. It needs to be future-proof. So you, you may have autonomous vehicles on this thing. Um, the direction of rail, blockchain, food quality, uh, inadequate regional infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, called, well, I basically pulled together a transport study on regional roads and this, this, the, the, the way that uh, transport is heading, uh, feed triples platooning with trucks so you'll have six trailers behind you all connected by bluetooth that are all running on their own motors and with a rhythm could be a car at the front leading it that's what you're seeing in the in, the, um, in europe oh, wow. but for that to happen you've got to have uh proper uh road infrastructure yeah so yeah if you think about it going back to the headers when you're loading up a a, a chaser bin full of grain that could be a shipping container that's autonomous that's Bluetooth with the, the header, it, it loads up goes goes into the the side of the of the uh, of the paddock when it's four. You might get six of them, and then when you've got six, they all just pick themselves up and drive off and um, to the intermodal, and uh, where an autonomous crane picks them up and plonks them on the ground, ready to be laid onto a train. Mm. So that Internet of Things, the fourth industrial revolution, is is. Um, is, is going to be really interesting in the data management, transport. It's going to drive infrastructure. Uh, it's going to create job opportunities, destroy jobs, but create jobs, and there'll be high-tech jobs. Mm-hmm. So every industrial revolution is, is required and need to increase everyone's educational attainment. So the year 10 guys I went through school with, yeah, they might leave school at year 10, but they will be doing something else. So it may be a TAFE. Um, thing it's not just the traditional go to university and get a, a degree and come out and still need training by the industry you need to be trained and educated as you go we haven't got the time go. to, yeah. to put a kid through 
six years of university and then two years, you know, we need them now. Mm. So if you get into a, any, any agriculture machine now, there's more buttons on there than the Boeing the jumbo jet. Oh, I know. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so my old uncles got out of the, get out of the headers when they, they had, you know, when they took the steering wheel off and they had joysticks. They said, this is too hard. I don't want to know. So, right, now we've got to get the young kids into there as well. But productivity is so high now that, um, that a lot of these rural communities are declining and so the population isn't there to support them. So you need to retain what population you've got and give them high-tech agricultural jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're driving trucks. And a lot of the times they're driving six, trucks six days a week. So what happens when the trucks are all autonomous? And they may not happen because if you've got a cattle truck, you still need to push cattle into the back of the truck with, your, with the cattle prod. And, then, and manage them. So you're not just man, mm. you're not just a truck driver. You're a logistics manager. <clears throat> and that's the other thing: compliance. I talk about our requirement for compliance and some of the presentations I've given about um, asset lifecycle and is it designed for the standards? Is it built for the standards? Now it's not. Well, that's asset will not reach its its, its design life. Um, and as the taxpayer, we're investing in this infrastructure. So I want to make sure I'm getting the maximum bang for the buck. Mm. Um, all these things are just so exciting. <laughs> you know, I, I just see opportunities everywhere. Forget about drones. Now. Drones are just a gimmick. Like scans, scans, and I flick through the, you know, the surveying magazines. I say, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. What's that fit in? The bigger, there's a bigger picture out there. And mm. that's where surveyors need to be playing in. You know, there's models, railway infrastructure, roads. Why are we running those, those projects? Why aren't we top three? Instead of just being service delivery, uh, company, why don't we, you know, run the whole thing? And because we haven't gone in and talked to the government or the the, the people men who have got the money to hand out, they don't trust us because we don't communicate. Yes, we don't communicate well. No, and we used to. We used to be right in there in government. In in you know, there was a lot of engineers, uh, surveyors who were shoulder engineers, and and the lands department always with. You know, there's the district surveyor, the the senior surveyor, and the staff surveyors, and they were running the they're running projects, they're managing natural resources. Now we give it to somebody, poor ecologist, who doesn't know how to run a project. So, and the professions allowed that to happen because the professions for, made so much money just being uh, subdivision and high rise set out and setting out bridges and that. But there's all these other opportunities out there. And a lot of us regional guys are doing that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why the country surveyors is probably taking a different tack. <clears throat> I'm the junior vice president of the Country Survey Association, so we now insist on two hours of town planning and two hours of engineering any conference we have. Because we have, particularly inland guys have got so many different projects we're managing that it needs to make sure we're covering those topics. I don't want to hear about strata. I don't want to hear about the Sydney strategic plan. Yeah. Lovely that is, but it's not It's not something that we need to admit. I want to hear about the Murrumbidgee Irrigation Scheme, the history of that. I want to know where we're doing that regional, the, the, the uh, New South Wales government's regional transport um, policy. How are we going to get product to, to Port Melbourne or you know, how are we going to get uh, uh, coal that's normally gone down the Port Royal or up to Gladstone once there's inland rails um, done. So you know, all these opportunities mm. are sitting in there on that new highway inland rail route. Yeah, and, and so is that what you've been doing a lot of work on? No, 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 no. That's um, no. We're staying away from that until they no. get their system settled down. Um, they're basically just hiring people from Brisbane because the inland rail ARTC people are all from Brisbane, so they're hiring people from 
Right. They're hiring people they know. Yeah. And the contractors we've talked to, uh, when they've talked to their surveyors on the coast, they think it's a Siberia post, and they think they're going to the outback. The Navarro is only two hours away from where I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's not near the beach, Peter. <laughs> oh, I'm there then. <laughs> uh, well, I don't care if I never see the beach again. My wife's from um, Newcastle, so um, it's every every couple of months we've got to go to the uh, Nambucca Heads so she can get a beach fix. Yeah. I'm the other way. I like going west. I love um, the country, but yeah, the the salt water, the salt air, it's just in my blood. I just have Ernie to. Ernie Dingo said this there's two types of people there's freshwater people and saltwater people. <laughs> Until then, I didn't get it. But when she said that, there is, there is that. It's in yes. your bones. And I understand yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I went and did some work out. Out um, oh, Wagga and past Wagga, Carathal, all that sort of way. And, you know, there's some really beautiful spots out there and some of the houses on the water and all that kind of stuff. And it's so nice, but I couldn't do it. That's fair enough. I couldn't do it. It's the water, it's brown and murky and... <laughs> well, whereas we used to drive the Wangler Dam and I love feeling the mud through my toes and seeing the that. other side of the I honestly don't mind that but it's just it just doesn't get in my soul like jumping into sure. salt water yeah it's weird yeah. Mm. Yes. Anyway. I did read too many stories about people losing their legs when they go in the salt water so if it doesn't <laughs> taste like chlorine I wouldn't go near it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I, I've always my grandfather was a fisherman uh, down at Jervis Bay and when I was probably three years old he used to we used to go out to the middle of middle of the Jervis Bay between Bowen Island and Point Perpendicular he'd tie a rope around me and throw me over the side of the boat because I wanted to have a swim yeah well and it's like, yeah, and he was fishing. <laughs> right. Well, I get seasick on the man in the ferry. <laughs> you know, well, see, okay, I think that's gross, gross negligence of you know, looking after a three-year-old. Yet we're used to walk around with slug guns and cans of diesel fuel with, with, with box of matches to set fire. As seven-year-olds, dad's the gun set fire with these fires from here's a, here's a can of bedroom and a box of matches. You know, where is that? Now where's the negligence? <laughs> <laughs> Sit on the back of the tractor with the harrows running behind us and the plough. You, you fell over it. You'd be shoveling oats in a, in a silo. Oh, I've got all the ways we should have to be dead. Oh, yeah. 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 I used to go down to Tartha and sit on my uncle's car while they used to go and shoot rabbits. And <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. We've got a, a, a young um, Aussie... Vietnamese kid working for us and he's uh he just wants it. he wants he's starting to really get into it he's the more he learns he thought this is just really interesting and I, I said you're actually quite amazing why are you why are you out here in the bush um he used to work with Craig Turner um and he said I realized if I stayed in Sydney I was just going to have this career in front of me and it was just look boring and uh -huh. I wanted to try something else and he'd never been past Penrith or uh, 
uh, Newcastle, Wollongong, and mm -hmm. so we. He's now been to Wellington and Journey and Cobar, wow. and so we've got photos of Jackie in front of the, the big, the big uh, Marino down at Goulburn and mm -hmm. Ray Warren statue in Journey, and <laughs> <laughs> living his the best gold life. guitar in Tamworth. It's just this. <laughs> All the yeah, all the big stuff that you see in all yep. the country towns. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I've, I've I've dropped every joke about Sydney people can't drive and that like we were driving 100 kilometres an hour. I, I let him drive for a bit. I, I made him sit in the car park, learn how to use this gear stick, and <laughs> and um and I said, "You cannot drive here. You can drive." And so I've decided to have a little snooze on the passenger side and I woke it up. I've always had one eye open every minute or two. So I've opened one eye up and driving 100 kilometres an hour through a mob of cattle and I've just freaked right out. So what are you doing? He said, oh, what's wrong? I said, no, these cows have got road awareness certificates, mate. Well, if you hit one of them, we're dead. <laughs> I didn't say, what do these people do out here? I said, what do you mean what they do out here? They farm. No, no, no. What do they do for, for fun? I said, they go to barbecues and they go to the pub and they have a great time. It's a great life out here. He said, no, it can't be right. They just... They just <laughs> it's too isolated. I said, no, you can be five kilometers away and still they're, they're good neighbors. It, it, yeah. It, 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 the concept is it, we're sort of breaking down this concept of what's, whether a community is like. What is community? So, a community is shared interests and shared concerns and willingness to help each other out. So, what you're doing is with the community as well. So, mm. we, have these, we have these long conversations in the car. So, and, and you know, and because he's not married, I said, "Well, what do you want in a partner? Where do you want to be? What's your life goals? Um, what makes you happy? Where's it? You know, what, what's made you happy in the past?" So, yeah. And I just like it. You know, I love immigrants. So I just love hearing their stories, the sacrifices they've made, that to, to come to a new country where everything's different. Yeah. And have a crack. I. You know, and and it's pretty awesome. We, we're going through a transformative change in in the regions in that. The population's growth is coming from immigrants, um, and like a lot of our doctors and um, health professionals are overseas trained. They're committed to our regions. They want to do well. They want to see their families do well. Like we did a biodigester EIS at, in Brill, and uh, you go into the change rooms, and there's uh, every alphabet known the man there about how to wash your hands. Uh, the, the manager, oh, I don't yeah. staff, they had 17 person uh, nationalities there. Wow. They used to have community picnics and the church groups mm -hmm. get involved and and um, you know they just they want to do it they want to do well. Um, South Africans have said they just love Australia because they don't hear gunshots at night. And oh. you sit down and talk to them about what was it like growing up. So we never left our, our compound. So they didn't have a front or backyard, they had a compound. Yeah. And the strife these people left, they just um, they, they think Australia is the best country in the world. And uh, it's nice to hear that now and again because you sometimes get so wound up about all oh, the stuff that should be done better. Um, yeah, and we take a lot I, of stuff actually, for granted. <laughs> yeah, and I, I attribute that a lot of our um, success to our bureaucracy. We've seen that with COVID. Like the dumb, the politicians, yeah, so now and again they come up with dumb ideas, but generally we're well led. Or, you know, people say it's mediocre, but it's not so bad. And I think we've got pretty good. Um, bureaucratic system it doesn't work at times but the main i'd say we're pretty successful mm. so it's a good country we're living in yep i agree much better than a lot of places that's for sure yeah.
I hope you enjoyed part one with Mitch. Stay tuned next week for part two. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.